Now, I am excited about our text, as I said, and uh, for some reasons I'll share here in a moment. But would you open your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 51? Isaiah 51. We'll look at verses 4 through 13. And one of the reasons I'm excited is because we all have chapters or verses that we would say, that's my life verse, or a, a verse or a chapter where we would say, when I read that, it, it brought healing to me mentally or emotionally, or it was simply enlightening and instructive to me. It helped me in some way, but I can say with full confidence this morning that Isaiah 51 literally changed my life. Because the reality is, is that we are here today, or I am here today, because of Isaiah 51. Now, I'm sure that God could have started CCT with somebody else. And there might have even been some folks that were more smarter that God <laughs> could have chosen to the, to the task. However, in the middle of the early hours of a Tuesday morning in the summer of 1997, I was awakened by two words reverberating in my mind, and they were Isaiah 51. And when I got up, I found this word of instruction that was very specific to things that had been going on in my heart. Isaiah 51.1, the Lord says, Listen to me, you who follow after righteousness, you who seek the Lord. <clears throat> Look to the rock from which you were hewn, and to the hole of the pit from which you were dug. Look to Abraham, your father. Remember, Abraham isn't just the father of the Jews. He's the father of all who believe. Amen. 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 Uh, Get on the bus now. He's the father of all who believe. Amen. Now, uh, and to Sarah who bore you, for I called him. And here's what spoke to me. For I called him, what's the next word? Blessed. Alone. And blessed him and increased him. After reading those verses, two weeks later, we left the church we'd been a part of for some 11 years. Put our home up for sale, even though it was a down market. We tried to sell our house time and time again. Wouldn't sell. Well, we had Isaiah 51 now, and it sold. And we did what Abraham did. We just left. We didn't know where we were going. We didn't know where we were moving to. God said, go, and we goed. <laughs> <clears throat> and moved, and a year later, a place called Calvary Chapel Tustin was born. That's why this chapter is special to me. So I'm excited about visiting the verses that follow those that literally changed our family's life. Now, a little background will help us in understanding the text we are going to examine this morning. All the way back in chapter 1 of Isaiah, and remember, Isaiah is kind of a mini Bible. It's divided into two sections, just like the Old and New Testament. There's 39 chapters of the judicial nature of God, and then there's 27 chapters, just like the New Testament, of God's grace and mercy toward his people. And all the way back in Isaiah 1.9, we're told, unless the Lord of hosts had left to us a very small remnant, we would have become like Sodom, we would have been made like Gomorrah. In other words, we'd have been completely wiped out. Are we living in a day where Bible-believing Christians are a very small remnant? Yes. Well, indeed, there are lessons for us to learn from this text because there are more things that are similar to the day and age in which we live and the time of Isaiah's writing. He was writing at a time where the nation was divided. Is ours? Babylonian dominance and captivity was looming. 
the nation, <clears throat> excuse me, was filled with religious apostasy. The nation was filled with moral depravity. The nation was filled with political anarchy. In previous chapters, the Lord has been speaking prophetically to the nation held captive in Babylon. In other words, he's speaking into the future what the nation is going to encounter, what the judgments of God are going to entail. He was speaking about a time where Jerusalem is already destroyed. The temple had been plundered and the people had been displaced. Now, even as though God had, or as God had been speaking to them collectively, he now refines his audience in chapter 51. And he begins to address, as we read earlier, those who follow righteousness and seek the Lord who are living in Babylonian captivity. Now, I'm starting to think there might be something relevant to us today from this text. Is our nation divided? Yes. Is it filled with religious apostasy? Yes. Is moral depravity rampant? Yes. Don't get me started about politics <laughs> and the anarchy of today. But listen, <clears throat> we also need to realize the Babylonian system under which the Antichrist is going to rule is also looming and we are about to be displaced. Amen. Except we're not going to Babylon, we're going to the Father's house. Amen. Amen. Yes. Now, seems like a good time for us to talk about rest. Now we've noted that the word rest can mean patient expectation as it does in our theme verse for the year where Jesus gave the invitation to Matthew eleven twenty-eight: 28. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you patient expect expectation or rest. Remember, it can also mean to recover strength. It can mean to be calm and to be quiet. In Hebrew, it can mean to be still and to wait. It can mean to settle upon or cause to happen or be. It can also mean to rest, as we'll find in Jeremiah 6.16, as in cease from labors. Now, the word rest in our text is rather distinct in its meaning and it's a, a distinct Hebrew word as well. It's the word raga, and it means to toss violently or to make happen suddenly or to act in an instant. Now get this. It also means to make a twinkling. <laughs> twinkling of an eye. Now, let's see. Is the world headed to being tossed violently, suddenly? Is God someday going to act instantly, let's just say, in the twinkling of an eye yes. on behalf of those who follow righteousness and seek the Lord? Yes. Absolutely. All these things are going to happen. And listen, this gives us our title and topic today, which again is a play on words. So mind the punctuation. It's important. It determines the meaning of our title. And our title is a phrase we all know of and have heard and maybe even said. And our title is the rest, comma, is history. The rest is history. Now, God has promised us rest from our labors. He has promised us rest from our toils and from the troubles of this world. And listen, if God has promised something, it's as good as done. It's just like history. It's already over. Amen? Amen. Think about how the Bible has used this as a literary device throughout uh, the whole of Scripture, especially in one of the more famed chapters of the Old Testament, that being in Isaiah, the forbidden chapter of 53, where, uh, forbidden to the Jews, that is. Isaiah 53, 5 says, but he, what's the next word? Rested. 
He what? Was. was, past tense. He was wounded. This is because this is the plan of God from before the foundation of the world. It was God's plan to wound his own son. That's why he gave his son to the world. He was wounded for our transgressions. It's as though it already happened. He was bruised for our iniquities. It's though it's already history. The chastisement for our peace, what? Was upon him, and by his stripes we are continually and presently being healed. Thank you, Jesus. Now, Isaiah writes of this yet future time as though it's already history. And the truth is, God said it would happen back in Genesis 3.15, that there would be, uh, come a male child born of supernatural means who would come through the woman representing Israel that would bruise the serpent's head. And he wrote of it as though it had already happened in Isaiah 53. And the reason he could write that way is because if God said it, nothing can stop it. Amen. Nothing can change it. Nothing can alter it. Now listen, the rest we are waiting to enter into... When we hear the words we long to hear someday, which are well done, good and faithful servant, that's as good as done. It's going to happen. We're going to go home. Amen. Soon, I hope. Don't you? So we might say the rest is history. It's as though it had already happened. So we need to learn how to appropriate it now by learning the things that we'll learn this morning from our text. So let's see what we can glean from a 2,700-year-old prophetic book that parallels a lot of what we're seeing today. You ready? Yes. Let's start with verses 4 through 6. So stand and read with me, please. Isaiah 51, 4 to 6. We'll finish our time all the way down through 13, but we'll start here. Isaiah 51, verse 4. Listen to me, my people, and give ear to me, O my nation, for law will proceed from me, and I will make my justice rest as a light of the peoples. My righteousness is near, my salvation has gone forth, and my arms will judge the peoples. The coastlands will wait upon me, and on my arm they will trust. Lift up your eyes to the heavens and look on the earth beneath, for the heavens will vanish away like smoke, the earth will grow old like a garment, and those who dwell in it will die in like manner." But my salvation will be forever, and my righteousness will not be abolished. Doesn't that want to make you shout hallelujah or amen or something? And Father, we are so grateful for your word this morning. Thank you for these things written long before, Lord, that certainly were directives to Israel and encouragements as well, but certainly apply to us because you do not change. So we thank you, Lord, for that which we'll learn this morning. Teach us how to navigate these terrible days in which we now live. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Now, let me remind us all, we need to be careful about appropriating things written to and about Israel and apply them to the church because Israel is Israel and the church is the church. Amen. 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 The church has not replaced Israel. God still has a plan for the nation. The 70th week of Daniel is yet to be fulfilled. But we also need to remember that the Holy One of Israel is also the head of the church. The Mashiach bin David, the Messiah of Israel, is the Messiah of the church. They are one and the same. The world has only one Savior. Whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, you must be born again. You can only be born again through Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. So while there are things that are distinct to Israel, when it comes to matters of God's nature and character, if it was true for Israel, it's true for the church. Is God faithful to Israel? Yes. 
Is God faithful to the church? Is He the King over Israel? Is He the head of the church? So obviously we can find some things this morning that are applicable to us without infringing upon the things that pertain specifically to national Israel. After all, Malachi 3.6 said, For I am the Lord, I do not change, at least not till 2021. (laughs) He does not change, amen? Amen. Therefore you are not consumed, O sons of Jacob. And therefore Hebrews 13.8 reminds us about Jesus, who is God, is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So if the nature and character of God is unchanging, it's true for us today. Are the Jews God's people? Is the church God's people? Do God's people need to listen to him? Yes. Yes, Thank you that it got stronger as we went. Now, there's an important subtlety we don't want to miss here. The Hebrew word for listen found in verse 1 that we read in our introduction. And the word we'll read in a few moments in verse 7, translated as listen, is the Hebrew word sama. It means to hear intelligently. It it means or implies to listen or hear in the sense of comprehension. Now the word listen in verse 4 in our text where the Lord says, listen to me, my people, is a distinct Hebrew word. It's the word kasab. It means perk up your ears, pay close attention. And it's much like what we find in Hebrews 2.1 where we're told, therefore we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard lest we drift away from the things we have heard. Pay attention to the things we have learned. Give an earnest heed or more earnest heed is a way for us to understand kasab. Now the Lord says, my people, you need to get this. You need to pay close attention. Perk up your ears. And then he says this, my law will proceed. And that word is yasa. And it means to bring out. The word justice is the word that is used in in applying to judicial sentencing. So God is telling the Jews headed into captivity, you need to pay close attention because I am going to bring out judicial sentencing on those who are holding you captive. Now the word uh, rest, as we mentioned, means to toss violently or suddenly. It can mean light, illumination, and even twinkling to the people or glimmer of light and therefore hope. Now it's also interesting in verse 5, we're told of my righteousness is near. The word near is a curious word inserted here because it means next of kin or a close relation. Well, who is in close relation to the head of the nation of Israel? Well, God the Father, God the Son, obviously, is who is in view here. Because if we look at the text, we can ask who suffered violently, who was also the light of the world, who satisfied man's death sentence by stretching out his arms. Obviously, it's messianic here. And while there are clearly these types of implications, it also reminds us, now listen close, Kasab, turn up your ears, perk up your ears. It also tells us, that when things are at their worst morally, when things are at their worst spiritually, when things are at their worst politically, we need to remember God is going to bring forth his judicial sentence and things are going to be set in order someday. Now, we also need to remember that at this point, Isaiah is writing, as I said, 
not only to the people who were going to be captives in Babylon, but the people who had experienced the results of their own national rebellion because they had forsaken the sabbatical year that the Lord had ordained for them every seventh year to let the land rest and rejuvenate. And they did this for 490 years. So the Lord said, I told you, don't plant crops every seventh year. You did it anyway. So the land hasn't rested for 70 years for guess what? I'm going to hook those years up back to back and they're going to be consecutive. You're going to let the land rest like I said, and I'm going to move you out of it to let the land do so. And they're going to be captives in Babylon. Now, tuck that away for later. It's important for us to recognize. Now, Isaiah here is telling the people of God what Jeremiah, who was writing into the same time period prophetically, would say, including a verse that is often taken out of context, or at least the whole context, context is ignored. <clears throat> In Jeremiah 29, 10 to 14, for thus says the Lord, who's speaking? So what should we do? Listen, Listen perk up our ears, kasab. After 70 years are completed, where? At Babylon, so obviously he's writing while they're still in Jerusalem. I will visit you and perform my good word toward you and cause you to return to this place. That meaning the land of Israel, specifically Jerusalem. And then he says this, for I know the thoughts I think toward you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me and I will listen to you and you will seek me and find me when you search for me half-heartedly. <laughs> no, when you search for me, how? With all of your heart. And he says, I will be found by you, says the Lord. I will bring you back from your captivity. I will gather you from all, who's in control here? Obviously the Lord. I will gather you from all the nations and from all the places where I have driven you, says the Lord, and I will bring you to the place from which I cause you to be carried away captive. Now listen, we need to remember this. I think this is so crucial for our day. Is God our future and hope? Yes. And what did he say to those who were headed into the Babylonian captivity? Listen, I'm sending you to 70, uh, for 70 years uh, to live in Babylon. While you're there, while things are at their worst, while things are terrible, while you're away from your home, while things seemingly in your heart and mind couldn't get any worse, know that the thoughts I think toward you are a peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. I'd say that's pretty applicable to where we are right now, right? So in the midst of a pandemic, know that his thoughts toward us are a peace and not of evil. In the midst of a terrible no, I better not say anything political. <laughs> oh, maybe I just did. We need to remember that his thoughts toward us are of peace and not of evil, and we still have a future hope. Now listen, Isaiah and Jeremiah both tell God's people what the Lord is going to do, but Jeremiah then tells God's people what they need to do. And is God's people in an age of impending judgment? Yes. Right now. We are in the age of impending judgment. Judgment is coming, right? Yes. God's going to bring it forth. He's going to judge the nations. He's going to judge specifically uh, the nations at the end of the tribulation who uh, abused and gathered against Israel, Zechariah tells us. But we also know that as we live in this age of impending judgment, we are also on the cusp of the Babylonian system that is going to be dominated by the Antichrist. And therefore, we ought to do the same things 
that Israel was counseled to do. Now, here's the first of our three observations. Listen this morning. In the midst of all we're going through right now and the time period in which we now live, here's our first admonishment. Do not allow temporary circumstances to overshadow our eternal destiny. Do not allow temporary circumstances to overshadow our eternal destiny. Are we going home someday? Yes. Is that true every day? Yes. Does that change on any day? No. And therefore, not to dominate our thoughts, hearts, and actions all the time. And this is what Jeremiah says to the captives in Babylon. This is what Isaiah is writing in the midst of our verses. God is going to bring out his justice. Amen. Amen. God is going to bring out his justice. And because what we are seeing in our world today, we know his righteousness is near. His salvation has gone forth. He is going to judge the nations that oppress God's people. The coastlands waiting upon the Lord refers to the fact that God has people all over the world. In every country, God has his people. Amen. Amen. People all over the world who trust in him, who have an imputed righteousness that comes from him, placed into their spiritual account, that their record may be cleansed before God, and they are all found to be innocent in Christ Jesus. There are people all over the world whom God has done this for. And let me tell you this also, the blood of Jesus cannot be limited in its atoning power, and therefore the Bible can say, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, Isaiah gives a word of instruction like Jeremiah did. And in verse 6, he says to a people in a divided nation, rampant with religious apostasy, moral depravity, and political anarchy, lift up your eyes to the heavens. And remember, my justice will rest on your oppressors, but my salvation will be forever. And I love that he concludes our opening section with, my righteousness will never be abolished. One of my favorite, favorite psalms is 121. And the opening three verses give us a word of exhortation, an encouragement and instruction. I will lift up my eyes to the hills, Zion is implied. From whence comes my help? The rhetorical question is answered. My help comes from the Lord, maker, or who made heaven and earth. Listen to this. He will not allow your foot to be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Aren't you glad God never dozes off? Oh, jeez. Oh, I had a good night's sleep. Where'd those people go? Aren't you glad there are no time changes in heaven, especially? We all like the one in the fall, right? We like that fall back thing, but today, not so much. Listen, are things a mess all around us? Is Jesus coming for us in the twinkling of an eye? Yes. So which of those two things ought to be dominating our thought life? Jesus is, coming. Jesus is coming for us in the twinkling of an eye. Perk up your ears, God's people. Do not allow temporary circumstances to overshadow our eternal destiny. Somebody say, <clears throat> let's look at 7 through 10 and keep moving. Again, the admonition. Listen to me, you who know righteousness, you people in whose heart is my law. Do not fear the reproach of men, nor be afraid of their insults. For the moth will eat them up like a garment, and the worm will eat them like wool. But my righteousness will be forever, forever and my salvation from generation to generation. 
Awake, awake, put on strength, O arm of the Lord. Awake as in the ancient days, in the generations of old. Are you not the arm that cut Rahab apart and wounded the serpent? Are you not the one who dried up the sea, the waters of the great deep, that made the depths of the sea a road for the redeemed to cross over? Now listen, we need to remember Daniel was living in the midst of the Babylonian captivity that Isaiah and Jeremiah are writing about and into. And therefore, Daniel gives us a glimpse into what life was like for the Babylonian uh, captives. And remember, Daniel was among the elite, as were Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These were those who were uh, within King Nebuchadnezzar's favor. And look what happened to them. Daniel, at the hands of those who were supposed to be his peers, was persecuted. And this wasn't limited to he and his three friends. It was certainly something that all of the captives would have experienced. If the elite among them were experiencing it, can you imagine the everyday person on the street? Three men who wouldn't bow to the statue of Nebuchadnezzar would wind up in the burning, fiery furnace. Daniel was put into the lion's den for refusing to pray to the king, King Darius, as an edict was given by his supposed peers, the satraps and governors, that no one could pray for the king or to anyone except the king for 30 days. And the people of God were a reproach to the Babylonian peoples. Now, a reproach means to taunt or shame. Is this happening to us today? Are we being taunted? Are shameful things being said about us and our God? Well, Peter addresses this same issue in 1 Peter 4.14, where he says, If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you. For the spirit of glory, that's where we always go, right? When somebody attacks us, we oh, thank you. Is that our, our response normal? No. Should be, though. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you. Here's why. For the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. In other words, when you're under attack, the Holy Spirit's all over you. The Holy Spirit is covering you. He's sustaining you. He's lifting you up. And then Peter says, on their part, he is blasphemed, meaning spoken evil, against, spoken evil against. But on your part, when you're reproached for the name of Christ, on your part, Christ is glorified. Amen. Isaiah says, listen, you who know righteousness, do not fear the taunts of men or be afraid of their insults. Their days come, as will the day of the blasphemer come. And then Isaiah moves rather interestingly from his proclamation to a plea. He cries to the Lord, awake, awake, meaning arise arm of the Lord. Move on your people's behalf in your strength is what the prophet is now crying out. And he moves to what we've all done, at least in some form or fashion. In other words, he begins to pray, do the things that you used to do. Do the things to the Babylonians that you did to the Egyptians. He mentions Rahab, which was a mythical sea creature that represented the nation of Egypt in Israeli folklore. And he says, do what you did when you cut that serpent Egypt apart and let us free. He then cites the parting of the Red Sea that allowed for God's people to escape the pursuing Egyptians. And he says, in essence, what we've all said, do that kind of stuff, God. Yeah. Act on our behalf, Lord. And we've all felt that way, right? Yeah. I don't know about you, but I have been feeling a lot lately like, enough already, get us out of here. Yeah. We're ready to go home. Amen? Amen? It's time for that promised rest. But listen, here's the next thing we need to remember. 
And I'll probably get some email over this. And if you want to email me, it's dlandis at cctuscan. And you can email me all day long. I'll spend all day answering your emails. Listen, are you ready for this? Listen in such a time as this. Our enemies do not determine, dictate, or alter our divinely mandated activities. Our enemies do not determine, dictate, or alter our divinely mandated activities. God said, don't bow to idols, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego didn't. God said, don't pray to anyone but him. You shall have no other gods before me. The government ordered no one is prayed to but King Darius. What did Daniel do? 6.10 says, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed and even upon punishment of death or the threat of it, he went home and in his upper room with his windows open toward Jerusalem, as was the custom of the Babylonian captives, he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before who? God. His God, as was his custom since early days. Now listen, we are living in a time of unprecedented government interference and invasions into spiritual matters pertaining to the church. We are told to sing praises. It's not suggested it is directed that we sing praises to God and the government said we shouldn't. We're told to assemble as a congregation, not to forsake the assembling of ourselves as a collective group of believers. The government said we better not. We've been told by God that he is our provider. The government is trying to take over his position. And listen, the Bible didn't say go to church when it's safe. The Bible just said, go to church. Amen. We don't let our enemies determine, dictate, or alter divinely mandated activities. And listen, did I give you my email? <laughs> Psalm 111 says in 1 and 2, praise the Lord. I will praise the Lord with my whole heart. In the what? Assembly, Assembly of the upright and in the what? The congregation, the collective gathering of believers, the works of the Lord are great. Here's why we gather together. Studied, studying the works of the Lord. Isn't that what we're doing right now? Yes. Studied by all who have pleasure in them. Now listen, I'm not saying go to church no matter how sick you are. No. Nor am I saying come to church no matter how at risk for COVID you are. Right. But what I am saying is this, let your health and the Holy Spirit be your guide, not the government. Amen. Now, God is going to deal with our persecutors. And we, listen, we don't bow down before them to avoid being persecuted. Amen. We are not to be afraid of them. Amen. We are not to be afraid of their insults. Because, listen, you ready for this? Yes. Our God can cool the flames. Amen. Our God can shut the mouth of the lion. Yes. Our God can part the Red Sea. Our God can stand the waters of the Jordan up in a heap so his people can cross over. Our God is the King of kings and Lord of lords. Our God is the great I am. Our God is El Shaddai, God Almighty. He is the maker of heaven and earth, the authority over all creation. And listen, I'm going to obey his word no matter what the government says. And I'm going to do so knowing that the moth will eat up our enemies like a thousand moths in a coat closet. Amen. But 
my righteousness in Christ will last forever. I know in a twinkling of an eye, he's coming to meet us in the air. I know that after that happens, we'll forever be with the Lord. I know that after we are forever with the Lord or when we are forever with the Lord, we'll have an immortal, incorruptible and glorified body like that of Jesus. I know that our eternal destiny, our eternal home is going to be spent in a place where the streets are made of gold. The foundation is precious stones. The gates are huge pearls. Death is banished. Sickness abolished. Evil is non-existent. And everything that makes life hard and miserable is going to cease to exist. So what should be our focus? The reproach and insults of our enemies or where we're going? Listen, our help comes from the Lord, maker of heaven and earth. Our enemies do not determine, dictate, or alter our divinely mandated activities. Somebody say, Amen. Amen. Let's wrap it up before I get excited. (laughs) 11 to 13. So the ransomed of the Lord shall return. And come to Zion with what? Singing. Singing. With everlasting joy on their heads, they shall obtain joy and gladness. Sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Listen to the Lord talking. I, even I, am he who comforts you. Who are you that you should be afraid of a man who will die and the son of a man who will be made like the grass and you forget the Lord your maker? who stretched out the heavens and laid the foundations of the earth. You have feared continually every day because of the fury of the oppressor when he is prepared to destroy. And then the Lord asks the question, where is the fury of the oppressor? Isaiah now moves to the subject of the Exodus, not from Egypt, but from Babylon. He prophesies of their returning to Zion, which represents uh, Jerusalem, with singing and everlasting joy on their minds and all sorrow and sighing fleeing away, just like we see in the Exodus from Egypt, where we find this in Exodus 15, 20 to 21. Miriam the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took the timbrel in her hand and all the women went out after her with timbrels and with dances and Miriam answered them, sing to the Lord for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and its rider, he is thrown into the sea. John Corson, in a way that only he could say it, and that wonderful warm laugh of his and that smile of his, he said, you know, Miriam could have, maybe even should have sung this song before the Egyptians were closed over in the sea. Because God said, plunder the Egyptians on your way out. I'm taking you to the land I promised to your fathers. Was anything going to stop it? So she could have sung, he has triumphed gloriously before he triumphed gloriously. Because that's how God operates. When he says it, it's going to happen, right? Now, listen, having a trial in feels great. That was it? (laughs) Having a trial in feels great. It's awesome when it's over. It's our favorite part. It's the only part we like, as a matter of fact. (laughs) Having oppression end is cause for joy. Having sorrow and sighing flee, these things represent a longing for deliverance, makes it even better. And the Lord begins his reply to Isaiah's cry in verse 12, where he reminds all of God's people that he's our comforter. And that fear at the hands of man is not part of life for any of us. That's why Paul could later write 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 7. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a power of love 
and what? A sound mind until a pandemic comes along. Is it true always? Of course it is. Listen, the Lord equates the thinking that he's addressing, the emotions that accompany it, to forgetting who God is. He says, hey, I stretched out the heavens. I spoke this thing into existence. I measure with the span of my hand. I name and number the stars. I sit over the circle of the earth. I'm the one who rides the clouds. And you're acting as though I'm none of those things. I laid the foundations of the earth. And he said, and yet, knowing all that stuff, you live in fear every day. And then he says this, and what has man's fury actually done? What has man actually done to you? Has he separated your soul from me? Has he snatched you from my hand? Has he separated you from my love? And in essence, I think if we break it down, he could say to them, you're alive, aren't you? <clears throat> I'm still in control, right? I'm still the authority over all creation. Now, remember our title? Anybody? What is it? The rest is history. That's what's happening here. The Lord is using the past to establish his authority in the present as proof of his faithfulness in the future. Amen. And he is addressing not the nation, but he's addressing those who follow righteousness. He says, you know, things are hard right now. You're outside your homeland of Zion. Your captors are taunting and insulting you. But in the midst of all this, you have to remember who I am and the faithfulness I have proven to you. So what do we do as we wait our promised rest? Jesus is coming. Amen. He's coming to get us. Amen. So what do we do? Psalm 149, 1 to 9 will help us with our answer. Praise the Lord. I'll wait here until that makes it out to the chairs. Praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song. There's a directive, right? Sing to the Lord. Not if you feel like it. Not if you're in the mood for it. Sing to the Lord a new song. No matter what new psalm would tell you to do. And his praise, did I say that out loud or was I just thinking that? And his praise, where? In the, in the assembly of the saints, which you're in right now. Let Israel rejoice in their maker. Remember, Israel means prince of God or governed by God. Are we governed by God? Yes. Are we kings and princes unto him? Yes. This applies to us because the Lord doesn't change. Is he our maker? Yes. Let the children of Zion be joyful in their king. Let them praise his name with the dance. Let them sing praises to him with the timbrel and the harp. For the Lord takes pleasure in his people. He will beautify the humble with salvation. Let the saints be joyful in glory. Let them sing aloud on their beds or during the night hours or the seasons of darkness. Let the high praises of God be in their mouth and a two-edged sword in their hand to execute vengeance on the nations and punishments on the peoples, to bind their kings with chains and their nobles with fetters of iron, to execute on them the written judgment. The honor, this honor, have all his saints Praise the Lord. Now, in Israel, this was a bit more literal than it is now. And we need to understand that when King David would pray the imprecatory prayers that he would pray, uh, I'm thankful for those prayers that when he'd pray for victory over his enemies. I've, I've always found this to be so bizarre that so many will try and tap dance around the issue. I don't know about you, but I don't want a national leader who prays that our enemies win. Amen. Yes. Right. 
I want one who prays that our nation wins and prevails. Amen? Amen. And therefore, listen, we can operate in the fact and with the mentality that all these things are going to be manifested by God ultimately so we can live as the children of God even in the midst of taunts and insults. And this incredible psalm gives us a list of reasons to praise him. We praise him for all he has done. We praise him for what he's doing. We praise him for what he's going to do. In other words, praise the Lord. Amen. Now, Here's our last truth. It might even be the simplest one, the most obvious one we've ever had, but it's the most important one you'll ever hear. You ready for it? Yes. The most important thing in life is to know the King of Kings. The most important thing in life is to know the King of Kings. Now, this knowing is not simply a cognitive recognition, but knowing in the sense of having a personal and even intimate relationship. Do you believe that knowing Jesus is the most important thing in life? Yes. Are you facing trials and tribulations like that's true? Yes. Well, we should. We should. The, the second agreements were weaker than the first, but I'll take whatever was there. Now, the fact is, let's remember something here. Remember the whole captivity scenario, the sabbatical year, forsaking God's ordinance and directive. Here's something I think we need to recognize that's important as we wrap things up, or at least prepare for our second hour. <laughs> Whose fault was the Babylonian captivity? The Jews' fault. They disobeyed God. Was God's response disproportionate? He said, I told you, let the land rest. You didn't do it for 490 years. So I'm taking back how many years? 70. 70. Now, how many years did they spend in Babylon? 78? 75? No, they spent 70. It was their fault that they were in captivity. Yet here's God telling those whose captivity was their own fault, everything's going to be fine. It's going to work out. I'm going to bring you back. And in the midst of your captivity, he said to Jeremiah, no, understand in your reason that the thoughts I think towards you are of peace and not of evil. Do you know why he took them out of the land? Because they didn't let the land rest? Because doing what God says to do is always best for you. It's always best for us. Listen, it was a lapse of faith. Because what God had told them to do regarding the sabbatical year, he said, okay, every six years you plant and harvest as always. You never harvest the corners of your field because that's for the poor and the passerby who can go by and glean and make sure that the poor among you are fed by eating off the corners of your field. And he said, and guess what I'm going to do? Every six year, bumper crop, double. You're going to have enough to eat for not only the sixth year, you're going to have enough to eat for the seventh year so the land can be vitalized and therefore you can plant again in the seventh year. And now remember, this is the God who parted the Red Sea, stood the Jordan up in a heap, fed them with quail and manna and all the other things we have in the history of Israel up to that point. And God said, I'm going to do something miraculous every six years. The people said, nah, we're going to plant. What was it? It's a lack of faith. And listen, without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him, even if that reward is a bumper crop every six years. Amen. So you can obey him. Is God able to do that? Yes. 
listen, we're in a mess right now, right? Yes. Things are disastrous, I would even say. But we have the same promise that was given to Israel because we have the same promiser. Everything is going to be all right. Amen. Sorrow and sighing are going to flee away. And Jesus said to his disciples at the darkest moment of human history in John 14, 1 to 3, let not your heart be troubled. The structure of the phrase let not could and maybe should even be translated as stop letting your heart be troubled. Stop letting trouble and uh, anxiety rule over you. He says, you believe in God, believe also in me. He's simply saying, you believe in God the Father, believe the same things about me. Further in the conversation, you'll see that proven to be true. And then he says this, in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. Then he said, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, you may be what? Also, look at what he's doing at the darkest hour of human history, the hardest and lowest point in the disciples' life. He's telling them about the future. He's telling them everything's going to be fine. He's telling them he's coming again. He's telling them where they're going to be when he does. He says to them, because you know me, your future home is in my father's house. So stop letting your heart be troubled. Amen. Things are awful right now, morally, spiritually, and politically. Awful, aren't they? But listen, we're going to be gone when they get much worse. And they are going to get much, much worse. And listen, I was thinking someday we're going to go to a place in a moment and twinkling of an eye where we're no longer going to say, I don't know how things could get any worse. We're going to be saying things couldn't get any better. And that's where we're going to be forever and ever and ever. Somebody say Amen. And Father, we are grateful for your word. Thank you uh, for Isaiah and all that we know that he endured as a prophet of God. And Lord, as Hebrews 11 mentions and tradition tells us, he was even sawn in two lengthwise, but he never wavered. He stayed true to your word, even as Jeremiah would and all the things that he experienced. And Ezekiel too, these mighty men of God, Lord, who stood firm and stood fast in the darkest, darkest of hours of their nation's history and help us to do the same and learn by their examples. Thank you for the reminder that you are our, our comfort. You are upholding us. You never leave us nor forsake us. And someday you're going to bring us out of this uh, captive place and bring us to Zion, uh, the city whose builder and maker is God. And Lord, help us in these things that we all struggle with because of our flesh and humanity. Lord, our, our tendency is to uh, waver at times when we're insulted and insults are thrown at us in, in such uh, horrid ways and insulting ways and even blasphemous ways against you. But Lord, help us to remember this isn't our home that someday we're going to go home in a twinkling of an eye, even as you hinted at that here in Isaiah. So help us, Lord, to stay the course and to not waver, to fight the good fight, finish the race,
not spend our time like a shadow boxer beating the air, fighting unseen enemies. And at the end that you would say, where is the fury of the oppressor? So help us in these things, Lord, for they are absolutely contrary to our flesh, but they are completely compatible with walking in the Spirit. Help us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.